Hey, good morning. Hey, um, tech team, are we, are we, we're live? Okay. Hey, we're live. Just a second. Oh, I can hear it. Thank you for a moment. We're just addressing some technical difficulties. Uh, I am hearing some echo. What's that? Makes me sound cool. If you're, if you're on the live stream, thank you. Thank you for your patience. If you're here in the room, um, I mean, you got coffee. That's no, that's no problem being patient in the room. Okay, checking, checking, checking. Uh, check, one, two, one, two. I'm ready to go. Well, I'm just going to get started and let them do their thing. Hello, good morning, everybody who's uh, tuning into the live stream, everybody who's here in the room, welcome. So glad to see you this morning. A beautiful, crisp Wisconsin morning. And um, we're in a, a series called Things Are Going to Be Different because in the world we know that things are changing at a rapid pace, at an increasing pace, things are changing. And we know that in the midst of a changing world, we follow a God who wants to see us transformed. So change is inevitable. Transformation is intentional. It's something that we need to uh, join God in doing in our lives. That's what this series is about. Also, because transformation is intentional, the church needs to be different as well because what we've seen, what we've, what we've observed is that information is not enough to make transformation happen. And oftentimes what we focus on in the church, what we often call a, a, a discipleship program is really just more information that doesn't necessarily lead to transformation. We have a Guest here this morning who's uh, been in Wisconsin since Tuesday, uh, the Honorable Bishop Collins from Nigeria, someone who uh, Russ and I had the opportunity to meet and minister with in 2019. And uh, he was in the country and he could have stayed where he was in Southern California and instead, instead flew to Wisconsin. And uh, a just an amazing treat from God was that it snowed last night. Did, did anybody see the snow last night? It had never seen snow uh, before last night. So what a, what, what a neat gift from God. And the changing leaves, it is a beautiful time as long as you dress warm. Um, so we've tried to help him with that. We had a, a conversation around the table a couple of, uh, of days ago. Um, where we were, we were talking about food in America. My daughter-in-law, Lily, was over, and we were eating veggie burgers. She's vegan. And, um, and so we were talking about, oh, there's zero cholesterol in these veggie burgers. And we started talking about cholesterol. And Bishop Collins said, you know, it's a, it's a big deal for people who live in, in Africa. Col cholesterol, uh, if you get high cholesterol, can make you really sick. And, um, and, and Lily and I went, yeah, yep, here too. Uh, and he was like, yeah, but you're eating all this cheese. Uh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, but high cholesterol could actually cause people heart disease in Africa. And we're like, yep, it's the number one killer in the United States is, is heart disease. And he said, well, why don't the doctors tell people? Well, we, know, we all know the doctors do tell people. Is that information enough to cause transformation? No. We know so much, and yet we still do what we want to do. We still follow patterns that lead us towards pleasure or away from pain, even if we get information that says, you know that pleasure that you're following is going to lead to big pain at some point. We still trust the patterns that we've been on and think, well, maybe, but it's not really worth it to cut dairy out of my diet. What, are we crazy? Um, so we get information. It doesn't necessarily lead to transformation. That's what the message has been about. In this series, things are going to be different. It's what it's about today and about our need for each other in that process of transformation. Not only do we need each other in this room, we're interconnected with people uh, around the region, around the world. Since Bishop Collins has been here on Tuesday, we've been to four different prayer meetings. There was our local prayer meeting in this space. There was a prayer meeting uh, yesterday in Appleton for all of Wisconsin and, and Upper Michigan. There was a, a prayer meeting on Thursday morning via Zoom for people who are part of that Wisconsin and Upper Michigan network. And on Wednesday, every week, and this is something you can tune into, we don't keep it a secret. Uh, it's uh, on our weekly email newsletter. We get together with our friends from around the world in Kenya on a Zoom prayer meeting. And I wanted to share with you just a quick Kenya update. Um, Dr. Isla, some of you met Dr. Isla when, when he was in town. He shared with us that he was driving from northern Kenya, where we've ministered, back to southern Kenya. And he said, it's raining in northern Kenya, which if you've been praying, yes, they're like in the midst of a four-year drought, they have rain. He said uh, so much rain that he thinks he's the last car that made it on the highway uh, to southern Kenya because water is flowing uh, over the roads. It's, it's, it's all over. He saw uh, crops starting to grow. So we, we thank God for the relief that he's bringing there. And, and we, we continue to pray that, um, that the uh, unreached people groups in northern Kenya would recognize uh, God's goodness and, and give him praise. We are working on sending another team to Kenya in January. We're going to have a, um, a chance to help raise funds for that, uh, for, for that effort coming up. It's going to coincide with Christmas. So consider during your Christmas budget what you might put towards uh, uh, helping that, that effort in Kenya. We'll get more specifics later. I just want you to think about what is God leading you to set aside. Uh, and then uh, for, for any contribution that's made, we're going to have fantastic uh, uh, Christmas cards with our artwork from our own uh, Rachel Allen. And we're going to have a little uh, a gift that's, uh, that 
to a, a thank you to give you. Rachel, do you have that handy or did you pack that up? When, when, when Jacqueline and I were there last year, we actually, we bought a ton of beaded bracelets that are, are like what the Samburu people uh, wear. The Samburu are the, um, the people group that we uh, that, 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 that we're praying for, that we've, we're visiting, that, that we've adopted. So this is like what they would wear, um, and, and it's, a, it's a thank you. Um, so think about that as, as Christmas comes and who you might bless with a card or a gift like this. And uh, before we get into what God is teaching us today, let's pray together. God, we thank you for connecting us to disciples of Jesus across the street and around the world. We thank you that your Holy Spirit unites people from different backgrounds, from different regions, from different climates. We thank you for bringing Bishop Collins here to help us get a, a different perspective. And I pray that he would bring home with him uh, um, some new perspectives from the uh, the, the adventures that he's had, the, the courage that he's had to, uh, to try new things. We pray, God, that his faith in you uh, would, be, uh, would be rewarded and, and, and would be uh, something that would be a blessing to others around him. And I pray that for all of us, that we would be willing to do um, things that we don't necessarily prefer, but things that would honor you because you're worthy. Transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, uh, one of the points that I, I, I want to make is that Jesus gives us eternal life, and that's awesome. That's amazing. That's wonderful. That's not all, though. He also teaches us how to live. He gives us eternal life, and he teaches us how to live. Now, we all know that Halloween is coming because all the decorations and then the candy in the store, they just won't let us forget. Um, one of the classic monsters that seems to be less fashionable these days is Frankenstein. And I know somebody's going to correct me and go, that's not Frankenstein. Frankenstein is a scientist. That's Frankenstein's monster. Yes. All right. We acknowledge it. I don't want to get any emails. Don't need any comments correcting us on, on that. This character uh, was, was introduced to the world in 1818 in a novel by the English author Mary Shelley. Just a, a made-up character that she created and that she wrote about to warn people about pursuing technology without considering morality in the process. Technology was outpacing morality, and, and she put this story out as a warning. And in the book, and by the way, if you've seen a movie, then it's not the same. And the reason it's not the same is because the book is too incredibly boring to actually turn into a movie. Okay, there's someone who's read it who says, yes, terrifically boring book. In the book, though, the greatest horror, what really made this situation scary, was that Dr. Frankenstein, the scientist, he was successful in reanimating a dead body. It's fiction, remember. He was successful in reanimating, through science, 
a dead body, and then he was disgusted by it. And so he abandoned this new creation, and the creation was left with with a blank slate for a mind and just wanted his creator to show him how to live. The horror was to give life to something and to not show it how to live. Now, sometimes in, in the history of Christianity, we've had evangelists and we've had missionaries who go places and introduce people to the truth that God loved you so much that he gave his son so that as you believe in him, you won't perish. You won't be separated from God forever. You won't uh, be destined for hell. Instead, you'll be given eternal life. And people embrace that with joy. I can be forgiven from my sins. I can be in a right relationship with God. Uh, I, I want that. And, and they receive that. And then the evangelist or the missionary moves on. They have made a convert. They have given someone a, a, a path to new life. And they haven't showed them how to live. They've made a convert. What Jesus told us to do is to make, help me out, disciples. To make disciples. People who pick up their cross daily, people who have a daily walk with God. Jesus gives us life, eternal life, and he shows us how to live a full life. God is moving us towards perfection in anticipation for the end of the world as we know it, where heaven meets earth and we live in the presence of God. He's preparing us for that. How we live matters. And even though Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, people try other ways to live a good life. Some people define a good life by following, uh, following the rules, by uh, taking on a, a system of morality. And if I just follow these rules, then everyone will see that I'm a good person. And people who don't follow these rules clearly are not good people. And they take on that idea of being rule followers. But we don't have to look very hard to find examples of people, even Christians, who try to adhere to a set of rules who we would say are not living a good life. We know rule followers who lack compassion, they're self-righteous and proud and argumentative. Jesus taught that even if we do adjust our behavior on the outside, what really matters is what's inside, the condition of our heart, our character. He's full of grace. He is overflowing with love. He's not expecting us or commanding us or instructing us to earn a good life by following a set of rules. We'll miss the mark. Another way people try to be good is 
They say, well, if somebody who follows the rules, they're just, they're being hypocrites. What, uh, what a really good life is, is when you are true to yourself, when you follow your heart. We don't have to look very hard to find examples of people, even Christians, who strive to be true to themselves, who we would say are, are not living a good life. When people say they're following their hearts, they assume that their hearts are good. Jesus disagrees. No one is good except for God. Our hearts are like idol-making factories. They're trying to find meaning and satisfaction and peace and comfort in created things rather than in the Creator. And, and people follow their hearts into things that seem right and then end up being traps. Physical attraction that becomes an unhealthy relationship. Comfort from a substance that then becomes an overindulgence that then becomes an addiction. Gossip or joking among friends that turns into hurt and anger and even vengeance. When people follow their hearts instead of following the Holy Spirit, they're not walking in the truth. Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth, honestly confronting the ways we rebel against God, shining a light on the tricks that the devil uses to trap us. Things that look good, but it's like bait on a hook. Jesus is full of truth and love. And the church is the body of Christ. And in order to live the full life Jesus offers us, we are to be a people who speak the truth in love to each other. Without speaking the truth in love to each other, we will tend to either follow the rules or follow our hearts, which will inevitably be, it's going to put us in conflict with him and with each other. And we need each other. We know that conflict in the church is not a new thing. Uh, if you look in your in your Bible at Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, Paul the, the Apostle writes, Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche. Don't you wish I would have had one of you read that aloud? When you're in a, when you're in a group and they say, Would someone like, like to read aloud? And then you, uh, you volunteer and then there's names or places in there. Oh, uh, I was in a discovery group where that happened, and the person just went, uh, like in this case, would go, now I appeal to you, uh, blank and blank. And then just, she just kept going. Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Can you imagine being called out in a letter like that? I was about to call some people out. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. He says, and I ask you, my true partner. So now he's speaking to a third person here. We don't know exactly who this third person is. I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. So when Paul the Apostle wrote to the gathered disciples in Philippi, he mentioned these two women by name. Euodia and Syntyche, because he had heard that they were in conflict. Other ways to translate the Greek that is translated here, settle your disagreement, are 
live in harmony, or be of one mind in the Lord. Last week, we said we're a people who are full of truth and love when navigating conflict. That's what we're going to refer to as a group identity statement. That's part of what identifies this group. So when we agree that our church will operate with the character of Christ in that way, speaking the truth in love to each other, when there's conflict, then we can say to each other, we're full of truth and love, right? So can you tell me the truth? about what's bothering you right now? Like, like, don't give me the, oh, everything's fine. We speak the truth in love to each other. You know I care about you. Tell me, what's bothering you? Let's be real. We're full of truth and love, right? The way I just heard you talk to your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, did not sound very loving. What do you need to do to make that right? Do you see how an agreed-upon statement about who we are can help us transform those patterns and habits that are impressed on us by the world that are part of our old patterns? Neurologists can uh, explain the, uh, the way our brains work, those patterns of thought and behavior that, that happen in a, a split second. I'm talking about the kind of thing that happens when you drop something on the floor or you uh, hit your thumb with a hammer, and these words come out that uh, you normally wouldn't say in front of children, yet they happen before you think of it. Maybe that's just me. I don't see anybody going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know what, you, maybe that's just me. Uh, maybe I'm the only one with, a, uh, with, with sinful patterns in my life, or maybe you can think of something else where your response happens before you can think about it. That's because there are processes in your brain that happen before a situation makes it to your conscious mind. And one of the ways that neurologists explain that, an analogy that, that they might use, is that your brain, when there's a situation, has like a file cabinet. I keep going to the back because this is where it's uh, where, where it's going on, where it starts, uh, has like a file cabinet of your entire history, everything that's happened to you, how you responded to it, and what the result was. Your brain has all of that information. So when a situation happens, I mean, it's going on all the time. A situation happens, it checks the files and goes, what did we do last time? What have we done before? How did that work out? What are we going to do now? And it happens in a split second before you consciously think about it. Your brain is preparing your body to respond. That's why the words come out before you decide whether or not that's appropriate. So your patterns from the past affect your behavior. Before you think about it, your character, that's not the only file cabinet, though. There's another place that your brain goes. It checks the history, and then it checks the groups that you're a part of. And I'm not talking about you're a member of Sam's Club, so you're in the Sam's Club group. I'm talking about 
the connectedness that, that we've talked about earlier in this series, the, the, the kind of attachment that a child and parent have with each other, where it doesn't matter uh, what the child does, the parent loves the child. The child depends on the parent. In Hebrew, the, the word that we see in Scripture is chesed, and it's the way that, uh, that, that, that God's love for his people is described. It's the way the, the best friendship between uh, David and Jonathan is described. That, uh, the, the, the attachment, the love, that's your group. The person who, when they see you, they light up with joy. I saw that uh, with uh, the, uh, Bishop Collins got a, uh, got a phone call from a friend in, in Texas. And when he answered the phone, both of them, because it was a video, uh, I mean, you could just experience the joy of seeing each other. Joy builds connectedness. Your brain checks, who am I connected to? What are the groups doing and saying? Because your brain is always looking for what's the path of the greatest pleasure or the least pain, and it will check your history. It also wants to protect those connections. So it doesn't want to do the same thing that it's always done if it could jeopardize those connections. Your brain checks to see if I were to, uh, if I were to say a, a, a swear word right now, would that help my relationship with the people around me? Or would that hurt my, it depends on the relationship, right? If you're, uh, if you're a, a railroad worker, then uh, swearing might be the thing that helps you relate to the, the, the railroad group that you're working on. I'm trying to pick something that doesn't pick on anybody I know in here. But I had a friend who worked on the railroad, and he said that's pretty much how it is. Like, that might be something you do to fit in. Now, in this setting, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have friends who I'm connected to who once in a while will swear, and then they catch themselves and go, I'm sorry, Pastor. Like, huh. It's, it's not that it's not that big a deal, but what they're doing is they're realizing, ah, I've done something that might that might jeopardize. And they file that away and go, okay, when I did the old pattern, I felt a little bit of shame about that. I don't like that feeling. So your brain. Before you even think about it consciously, when you're in a group that's exercising, that's practicing the character of Christ, your brain is going to check itself against the character of that group and change what it does before you even think about it. We need each other. God has designed us to work Together, this is not a solo situation. God himself is three in one, a community unto himself. He designed us to need each other as we're intentionally transforming 
That's the, that's the neurology. That's the theology. Paul appeals to these two women that we just read about in conflict to remember their work with him and with Clement and with others whose names are written in the book of life. It's like he's saying, people, remember who you are. You're bonded to the Lord and to a group, a body, a family that will be together in eternity. We don't stay divided. We settle our disagreements. He appealed to their identity in that group to say, that's not what we do. We do this. Paul knew the diverse parts of the body had to cooperate in order for the church to become mature, in order for people uh, to not be tossed around by the winds of every teaching, to be conformed to the world, or to be stuck in our old patterns. People who would grow uh, to the full stature, the character of Christ. So, Paul spoke the truth in love. The truth he spoke is that this disagreement has to be settled. The love he spoke is that these two people are an important part of the group, the body, the family, the church. So years ago when the leaders of New Day put a series of statements together we, uh, to, to, to guide us in, in being full of truth and love, when people are experiencing conflict in the church because we know that differences are inevitable division is a choice these nine biblical communication guidelines that i'm going to share with you right now and i'm going to go through them relatively quickly um, they help us remember how people who have been given new life will help each other live in the way of Jesus. We've been given new life. Now here are some guidelines to help us live with each other and help each other live with the character of Christ. Number one, we overlook minor offenses. We overlook minor offenses. Ephesians 4.2, always be humble and gentle. This is familiar if you've been here the last couple of weeks. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. In Proverbs 19.11, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. We're a community that is really good at this to a fault. Uh, we tend to be uh, a, a people, uh, the majority of us, approach conflict passively and evasively. So for us to say, uh, we overlook minor offenses, yeah, I do that. I overlook major offenses. That's not what this is talking about. That's not speaking the truth in love. We don't overlook major uh, offenses. We need to learn. This is really more for the people who have a tendency to be aggressive and defensive. We need to remember this. Now, if there is a, a wrong that should not be overlooked, what do we do then? Number two, when we have a problem with another person, we will go to that person promptly and privately. 
only involving a few select others if the conflict persists. We talked about this last week, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If a person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. Proverbs 28, 23, in the end, people appreciate honest criticism more than flattery. We are a people who speak the truth to each other in love when we're in conflict, and we will appreciate honest criticism more than false flattery. Number three, we'll set aside our own pride. This is a biggie. We will set aside our own pride in the face of conflict and humbly pursue a course of biblical reconciliation as recommended by church leadership. We have a process. If people can't work out their, their differences on their own, it's like what Paul was recommending. We need to get involved here, folks. We need to help this work. So we have leaders have a process here that we walk people through. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. If you won't let your pride melt away in order to reduce the conflict with another person, you put yourself in conflict with God. God opposes the proud. Number four, when individuals have a problem with me, I want them to come to me privately. I will be open to them when they come. Now, for a lot of us, this is not consistent with the patterns of the past. We need to have people around us to help us do this because it goes so contrary to what our, our uh, fight or flight instinct is when someone has a problem with us. When we speak the truth in love, we actually want people to come to us and we will be open when they come. We looked at this last week as well, Proverbs 15, 31 through 32. If you listen to constructive criticism, you'll be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Number five, when someone has a problem with me, and comes to you, send that person to me. And I'll do the same for you. You all know what this is like. I remember this happening in, uh, in, in, in the past. People want to come to the pastor and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, really having a, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm really having a problem. Okay, let's talk about it. Well, this person, wait, 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 wait. I thought you were having a problem. Well, but the, what this person said, now hold on, wait, 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 wait. What did that person say when you talked to them about it? Well, I haven't, uh, okay. <laughs> we are a people who are going to speak the truth in love, in conflict, 
go to that person. See, we need to help each other do this. Um, I remember one situation where I, where I did that, and, and, and I said, uh, now, before you say anything, understand, if you say someone's name and what they did, I have to loop them in. And this person did, and I picked up the phone <laughs> right there and said, okay, I'm going to dial them. We're calling. Oh, oh, like, oh, so, so nervous. But what ended up happening was this person said, I heard you say this. And the person said, oh, well, that's not what I said. I said this. I would have never said that. Just talk to somebody directly. And so often what you've been harboring, your frustration that you've been carrying with you, sometimes days, weeks, months, could just evaporate if we go to each other personally and help each other do that. Number seven, we'll not assume what others are thinking and feeling or speak for others in regards to what they are thinking or feeling. Oh, we've all heard this too. Well, I'm really having this problem with you, and I'm not the only one. A bunch of people are saying this. Well, what's a bunch of people? Who? You're representing some mysterious army? We're not going to represent other people. We're going to identify our feelings and say how we feel, not represent someone else. It just causes problems. And I'm not going to assume, well, this person would never want to do that, so I'm not even going to ask. Don't assume. Talk. Let's speak the truth in love to each other. Eight, we'll honor others by treating personal information and private conversations as confidential. Proverbs eleven thirteen: a gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Number nine, we will refrain from all gossip and slander, only speaking that which encourages and builds up others. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, this issue of gossip and slander, I remember sitting around the dinner table with our family and my kids would be there and there'd be something that people were talking about at school and somebody would say, oh, this person, oh, you you wouldn't believe what they did. And we'd say, that's gossip. Leave it. Don't bring it to to, to the table. And you've probably heard this before. And a person would say, it's not gossip. It's true. Okay, if it's true, then it's gossip. If you're not part of it, and then the question is, are you part of the problem here? No, this doesn't really involve me. Are you part of the solution here? No, it's kind of like a different friend group. Are you going to do something about it? No, then it's just gossip. If it was a lie, it would be slander. That's the only difference. Refrain from all gossip and slander. We know, we know, oh, it tastes so good. And yet it kills relationships. It kills churches. 
more deliberately following these guidelines is going to help to prevent or settle conflict in the church. And as we learn to speak the truth in love, I want you to consider where else will we experience a better life as these become the patterns that we learn, not just because they're part of our history, but because they're part of our group identity, because we're helping each other grow to the full stature of Christ, because we need each other as we do this. Where else, as your character transforms, is there going to be a difference? How could this transform your experience at home, at school, at work, in your book club, at your deer camp? Mike, Jesus gave you life, and he has shown you how to live. Thank God for that. Now, what are you willing to do differently this week based on what he is teaching you today? This is where things are different in this church than they have been in the past, because I'm going to give you a few minutes to just quietly reflect. This is time with you and God. Today isn't about you learning what God taught me. This is about believing that God is teaching you something today, that he is working directly within you. And the questions I want you to answer during this time of just quiet reflection, and if you're in this room, you've got some paper and pens, you can write things down. I encourage you to do that so that it moves through some different parts of your brain and it can become part of a conversation and it can be something that other people can ask you about and we can be a group that holds each other accountable. So the questions are, what is God teaching me today? And what am I willing to do about it? What am I willing to do about it? So we're going to take some time in quiet reflection. I want to encourage you at the end of this, like, three minutes, have something written down that begins with the two words, I will. Something that you could do this week. So this is a gift to you. This time, quietly reflect. It's you and God. What is God teaching you? What are you willing to do about it? We'll catch up with each other in just a couple of minutes.
All right, if you're tuning in online, I hope you've got somebody uh, in the room with you or somebody nearby or uh, that you participate in the, the chat because transformation uh, isn't something that, that happens in isolation. It's something that happens in the context of community. So if you're tuning in online, share what God is teaching you and what you're willing to do about it. Have a conversation. And if you're in this room, we're going to have conversations around the tables over the next couple of minutes and uh, encourage each other to do something different from what our old patterns tell us. Because change is inevitable. Transformation is intentional. So let's encourage each other in that this week. Um, after you've had a conversation, or right now, if you're in, in the, uh, uh, the live stream, share something with us in the chat so that we can be blessed by what God is, is teaching you. And we are going to continue in this series, and next week we're going to talk about how can we be a community that has a soil that nurtures uh, good character and that uh, pushes out negative character, that people who want to cause a problem will feel uncomfortable in our church community. Uh, so I'm excited to catch up with you again. Continue. This isn't the end of the service. We're going to continue in conversation. Uh, so I'm going to let you do that, and we will catch up with you next week. God bless you.